I think American manufacturing um, had really has been on a steady decline in my whole darn career. And it's finally hit bottom, and there's been a, been a forest fire that we've all been through, and it's coming back green. And, and I think that the future is really the brightest uh, looking forward than it's been in my whole career. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, and I'm here with my co-host, Lloyd Graff. Today's guest is Bill Cox, owner of Cox Manufacturing, a thriving precision machine shop in San Antonio, Texas. Cox produces parts for a variety of sectors, including aerospace, defense, energy, and medical. Bill has been involved with the business since his father died when he was 12 years old. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. It's really good to have you. Well, thank you. We're going to just get started by asking, you know, what is the story of Cox Manufacturing and and what is the story of you getting into the business? Well, um, the story is actually my mom was pregnant with me when my dad had the idea of of bidding on a Swiss machine that came up for auction and uh, he ended up successfully buying it. He really had never operated a Swiss machine but he knew some guys that did and he knew what the machine could do. And Interesting, what kind of machine? Well, it was a Gordon which was a copy of a <laughs> Peterman that was produced during World War II. Uh, the US government had a shortage of uh, Swiss machine tools, and they arranged to get the drawings from uh, Peterman, and they um, actually they they got in the U.S. produced copies of Beckler's, Tornos, and Peterman's. Uh, three different companies were commissioned to go into production. Interesting. But uh, Gordon continued to make them after the war. This machine was a 1954. It honestly wasn't the quality that the um, uh, Swiss built machines were, but they were part of the solution that won the war. And then I gather that uh, as a very young person, you came into the business and then your father died, as I recall. Well, actually, what 
um, happened, he started having heart attacks at a pretty young age. And um, my mom was told he'd probably only live five more years. But she really took care of my dad and he cut his hours back and he lived 10 years. Uh, he finally had the fatal heart attack when I was 12. How long, how long had the business been around? 12 years. 12, 12 years. years. Okay. As a matter of fact, yeah, in, in fact, a, a little bit of trivia, after I work, came to work for the business and was cleaning out old files and reading letters and things that my dad had written, I found a letter in the files that uh, he wrote in February of 1956, and he was telling a potential supplier that he expected to be ready for business on March 7th, and that turned out to be the day I was born. So my life is is pretty much grown with the business. Um, it's been pretty closely coupled uh, from the beginning. Interesting. At the funeral, our largest customer came down, and it was a small business, maybe a dozen employees, but we were the primary supplier to um, this customer. So it was it was in San Antonio, where you are right now. Yes, yes, we were started here. Although our initial customers were. All across the U.S., we had um, a customer in, in California and some uh, one uh, actually in Illinois, um, in uh, Marengo, north of Chicago. Um, I think it's Marengo. Does that sound right? Yeah, Hampshire, Marengo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we had uh, um, uh, some customers in the Northeast, and they were all competitors. And uh, the largest com one that flew down for the funeral and knowing we supplied his competitors as well as the majority of his parts, he asked my mom if she wanted to sell the business. And if she did, he wanted to talk to her about it. So that night, um, she asked me, gee, what do you think? This is right after the funeral. Yeah, literally the, the, the night after the funeral asked me, what do you think? Is this something you're going to be interested in doing or should I sell the business? And I said, no, don't sell it. I'm interested in it. <laughs> and you're 12 years old then? or 12 years old. And so she said, uh, you know, I've always handled the uh, office side um, of the business. Um, you're going to need to learn the, I can teach you that, the business side, and you're going to need to learn the shop side uh, yourself um, and she actually started including me on uh, on every business opportunity she could um, meeting with attorneys and I was kind of her little buddy too I would settling the estate and meeting with accountants bookkeepers insurance agents had you been in like hanging around the shop a lot uh, all that time before that growing up or or were you? No, not really. The shop was in a separate location from the the house. We had the office at our house. My mom, my dad would bring the parts home, and my mom would pack them up. I would help her pack them. Uh, I would answer the phone um, sometimes, and I probably was only nine when I took my first customer order. The, you know, my mom would say, "Hey, if they want to place an order, just write down whatever they tell you. They'll give you a PO number, a quantity of parts, and a price." <laughs> so I grew up in the office environment and uh, grew up, you know, hearing my dad talk to customers. Um, 
on the phone and writing letters um, late at night. Um, when I was about uh, 14, I went to work in the shop and there were some guys there that had worked for my dad for a number of years that started you know, teaching me the basics. What was the first thing you did in the shop? Boy, I don't even, I'd be guessing, but that first summer, I, you know, cleaned out the bottom of machines, spun chips, ran a little hard-inch lathe, ran a drill press. I served my time. I definitely <laughs> served my time. <laughs> and when did you start full-time? I, you know, when I graduated from high school, I, I said I was going to go to A&M for two years um, and and have a declared engineering degree major but I would only go for two years and I would start um, after that and that is what I did and, and looking back it kind of amazes me to be honest that that I had that clarity my mom and I had bought land um, uh, north of town because we were landlocked and I even said I was going to uh, come back and we were going to build a, a, a new facility north of town where we had room for expansion and we did that and today we we still have that land and we've bought some of our neighboring property we have seven acres now out on the prominent north side of san antonio well your mom sounds very shrewd my mom was a very astute um, businesswoman very sharp one of the just really brilliant she was a little um uh, you know kind of came out of her shell when she became um the um the person in charge of the business she was very humble uh very well respected um the, the um uh, she was a great partner for my dad do you think she she already was, uh, you know, kind of prepared for this? It sounds like she was, the way you describe it, she was ready to 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 get going, kind of when when she needed to. Is that? Do you think that's the case? Well, she was definitely uh, always a businesswoman. She had my my parents had rent houses, and she always took care of the rent houses, um, and. I would, you know, before my dad died, I would uh, um, even go with her at times to handle that. Um, she definitely had a business mind, extremely sharp. And just to give you an example of who she was, we would go, I'd go shopping with her and was one of three kids. I was the youngest. I had two older sisters. Um, but we'd go to the grocery store. I'd go with my mom. She'd fill the cart up with groceries. And she, back in the day, it was not electronic machines. It was mechanical adding machines. She would keep a running total in her head. <laughs> and she would challenge herself to tell the cashier the total before the, t the cashier <laughs> had the total. And if it didn't match, she was asking questions. But my mom was sharp and Lloyd met her you remember meeting her years ago we bought one machine from you uh, a Wickman I don't remember her yeah my mom and I came up and we bought a Wickman uh, probably like a, it would have been like an 81 or something it's a long time ago <laughs> yeah 
So tell me, how long did she work with you? She worked with me, gee, um, up until about, I guess it was about 25 years ago. Um, she passed away about um, 13 years ago. But she worked, we worked together for many years. She, she pretty quickly, when I was 20 years old, um, I, I came back and started working in the shop. And uh, I, I didn't realize it then, but I was basically doing a 5S in the shop and getting things organized. Um, and um, worked in a lot of different capacities, upgraded our engineering capabilities pretty quickly, um, started bidding jobs, getting involved hiring employees, screening them. I got involved in the shop operations um, on a lot of different levels very quickly. Officially became president when I was 24, but I, I was quoting jobs and costing jobs and um, organizing the shop uh, at a very young age. Do you think it's important for uh, for an owner such as yourself to be able to do every single job in the shop uh, or in the office? No, I don't. Uh, but I do think there are key things they need to understand. They need to understand how to hire and, and develop personnel. They need to understand how to market and cultivate customers. They need to understand how to manage um, or uh, track the key metrics to the business and understand what's behind those numbers. But running, but running the equipment, et cetera, it's, it, I mean, it's important to know the basics, but, you know, you, the other, the business part is, is you, can, you can function by just knowing the business part as well. Correct. You do need to understand what technology is doing. Um, so you need to understand the technology. But as you know, I, I programmed some of our first CNCs, but um, I haven't programmed in, in many years. And um, I, the machining strategies, I am still um, I collaborate heavily on that uh, and enjoy that. I, I, this. When I first went into the business, I thought the main thing I was interested in was the business. Then as time went on, the technology and the manufacturing uh, processes have become what is really uh, interesting. interesting to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's nice for us because if we're trying to buy or sell a machine to you, it's so much easier if we're dealing directly with the owner and and not you know th through somebody else whose job is to buy and sell equipment and then they have to go to the owner and then they have to it's it it it's easier for us I, do you feel that way Dan? it's sort oh, of definitely definitely because it's so much easier to deal with the person who makes the final call so i i have a question bill uh, when did you start moving into CNC equipment? When did it become clear to you uh, that it was going to be critical for your business? You know, uh, believe it or not, um, again, this, uh, when I look back, I, I amaze myself. When I was in high school, 
we um, I knew the future was electronics um, and computers on machines. And what years are what years are we talking? Uh, 1970, and so in '72 I started. Uh, I took an electronics class in high school. So I, I for uh, two years, I went into that class. Uh, it was a, um, a special elective you could you could take, and so I I learned some things about electronics. Um, not as much as I probably would have liked to, but um, I knew that was the future. Even then, uh, I bought our first camless machine in uh, in I think it was seventy seven. Um, and I looked at the CNCs. Uh, we bought a Hardinge, a DSMA. Um, I knew the future was camless machines and more like I really wanted the CNC, but I just couldn't uh, bring myself to buying the. Of course, it wasn't CNC back then; it was NC. Couldn't bring myself to buy it um, and spend that money. We you know, just weren't used to spending that much money. In hindsight, I wish I would have jumped in then. Uh, so long story short, we we hit we didn't get into that. We, we didn't have multi spindles when I joined the company either. We got into multi spindle machines. We bought Davenport's and later Wickman's, and that grew faster for us. But the um, short run CNCs, uh, the more precision work, we didn't get into t- till 1987, and it, and it was a hard inch. Hardinge ended up repossessing a machine that was less than a year old in our in our uh, region, and they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So, <laughs> <laughs> finally got us going forward. You have always been a very savvy buyer. <laughs> uh, definitely, it's just almost too shrewd for us. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> <Give me> break. <laughs> Bill, I'd like to skip forward to close to where we are now and ask uh, what uh, are the trends that you've seen over the last few years and in the business and which way are you directing Cox now? Well, um, it's clear to everybody that the the workforce uh, demographics are are a huge challenge. So we made this a priority for us about 10 years ago. Um, and it's, it's paying off, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and nationally, it, it's an issue. And I think there's going to be a shortage of capacity in our industry because of a, a shortfall of skilled technicians. I think American manufacturing um, it really has been on a steady decline in my whole darn career. And it's finally hit bottom. And there's been a, been a forest fire that we've all been through. And it's coming back green. And, and I think that the future is really the brightest uh, looking forward than it's been in my whole career. Wow. When was that bottom that where it then all of a sudden started turning green afterward? Uh, probably this last uh, big recession. So you're talking 2009, 2010? 
that's that that I think is the bottom. I think a lot of corporations have finally started how to do the rest of the math on the true cost of sourcing uh, to China too. I think there's so many hidden costs uh, that have been ignored, and uh, plus costs have been going up over there. Uh, there's a variety of factors. In your view, has outsourcing to China peaked? I hope so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think so. Do you outsource to China? No, no. We compete with them. And what's your? You're right near the Mexican border. What's your relationship with Mexico these days? We used to have customers we would go down and visit, but we haven't been visiting them for years because of the um, the, the risk. Um, people getting kidnapped. And um, it's just not worth it. We do have a couple of good customers down there, but we flat don't visit them. They can come see us. You know, before we go any further, just um, tell everybody what exactly parts you what parts you focus on, and what what sectors you focus on. Well, we we focus on having a diversity. We don't like to have too much of any one sector. We do a little bit in the oil industry. And right now, I'm, I'm, I'm telling oil industry accounts that we can't take anymore. So we're trying to take care of them, but we, we're not going to. In the early 80s, I made that mistake. Over half of my business was in the oil industry. Wow. And um, most of that was with one customer. Um, one phone call one afternoon, they asked us to please stop all shipments stop all production, give us inventory counts on everything you've got in process. And we're running three shifts, making as many parts as we can, because just a few weeks before, they were asking us for more and more and more and, and constantly pressuring us for more. So that almost put us out of business. We, our bank went out of business. Our customer went out of business. And many of our suppliers went out of business. And we held on by a very thin thread. And we sold our Wickman. I think we <laughs> brought it back from us, Lloyd. <laughs> so, Bill, what is uh, the biggest industrial area that you serve now? Yeah, what's your core? It really is mixed, but the single biggest, it, it, slightly bigger than oil, is the trucking but we also do medical device we also do electronics we also do firearms uh, some hydraulics um, aerospace and and plain old defense so i really like having that mix and there's some miscellaneous in yeah there it, to uh, any of those categories yeah it makes you so somewhat recession proof well that's the hope and during uh, the recession of uh, 2008, 9, 10, <laughs> uh, how did you fare? Well, we had to tighten our belt up, but we laid nobody off. Really? That's impressive. Yeah. I want to know about uh, your hiring practices. Sure. Uh, now, I know you, you develop your own talent. We've been down there and we see you assign $12 an hour uh, plastered on top of your building. Yeah, it's, it's uh, 14 now. Yeah. <laughs> 14, okay. It's 14. Interesting. Yeah. 
Are you able to attract enough viable candidates uh, in a period of growth like this? Well, we've we've been growing very steady, uh, and this year's we've had a, a huge growth spurt, uh, and we've still got positions we're looking to fill. Uh, but we've we're making good headway, and we're we're constantly working it. Um, we are able to find good candidates, um, and we we are we. we we're very picky. We put people through a lot of uh, steps before we hire them. Uh, normally, they'll visit us three times before they would get a job offer. Uh, we give them a math test, a personality profile. Um, they get an interview um, if it's they're an apprentice or anyone working on technical things in the shop. You know, even an account manager that's going to talk to customers would we, we get this uh, uh, a blueprint reading kind of assessment that you know hold them. There's a part that will show the people and they'll show a blueprint and see how easily they understand how they can correlate the, what's on the print and what's in the part and get an assessment of aptitude. A few years ago, we hired a consultant to work with us to improve our selection process. And one of the things he helped us identify is um, that there's some of us on the team that are, are, are have a, a better um, talent for assessing people, better discernment on who's, who's the best fit. So, so we've Within our own team, we have a few people that have that an instinct, and they're always a part of the hiring process. What do you think of your own instinct? Mine's um, not the absolute best. It's probably a little above average. And there's some managers that I would say are that's just not their talent. Have you found uh, many women uh, who? are interested in going into the shop? Not very many. Um, we happen to have a lady right now that joined us in response to a secondary um, job opening. And after she was doing that, she was saying, well, how about this apprenticeship program? And so we ended up giving her a shot at that. And I, it's probably only been about four or five months, but She's passing the guys up and putting some pressure on them. <laughs> wow. So, so okay, bring me through this process. You have people, they contact you via the web or they, they come by, they see your sign. Maybe they've gone to trade school, maybe they haven't. Then what? They get the tests, they get an interview, and then after that there's an apprentice program? Walk me through, please. Okay, so... If they see one of our ads or see our sign, they need to come in and fill out the application on site, which includes the math test and a, and a written application and a personality profile. And then they may get an interview right then, or they may be called back for an interview. And um, so the someone from HR would talk to them, and then then someone the the team that does the um, the blueprint reading, uh, spatial relations um, assessment, 
they meet with them and they talk about other things too beyond just that they they just chit chat with them and there's a shop tour in there and then as long as I'm not on some kind of extended vacation I'll, I'll interview them too as one of the final people that makes sense uh, Bill, a general question. But well, wait. When do they go into the? I want to. I want to know the rest. So after you interview them, then they then there's an apprenticeship if they're in the shop. Well, then we would hire them, and they they are onboarded, um, regardless of what position a person um, is hired for. There's a standard um, protocol of onboarding where they are introduced to people across the business and shop safety and sexual harassment training and it's about a two-week process and then um, for the shop people it's a little bit more but if it's someone that's like an account manager or clerical it'd be some of the components would be a little lighter and so then they're put if they're an apprentice they're they're going to get some specific classes on, on blueprint reading and measuring instruments and, and some procedures on how to do some, some things, uh, lot control and things like that. And, and then it's a three-year program. Whoa. Bill, a general question. Do you think that people in the machining trades are underpaid? Do you think that is the underlying reason why it's been so difficult to recruit people? I don't think that's really it. Um, I think it's the lack of glamour associated with it. I know there's other skilled trades that have a similar problem. Um, I know plumbers, uh, I'm a friend that has a plumbing business and you know, these master plumbers can make, they make even more money than machinists. And, mm-hmm. and um, uh, my friend was telling me that he was at a, a one of their continuing education classes that they have to do to keep current. And he's looking around and he's in his early 50s and he's like the youngest guy in the class. Well, it takes seven years to become a plumber, I think. that's. I just had a plumber come to my place. A master plumber, yeah. It, it And there's just a shortage of people going into it. Those, guess what, though? The prices of our <laughs> getting plumbing work is going to go way up mm-hmm. because there's no, nobody's coming in. So if, if that is the case with plumbing, couldn't you make a similar argument for precision machining it probably will occur the problem with the the difference is plumbing you're competing locally with machining you're competing internationally so there's a a ceiling that the, the manufacturer can charge for his parts so there, that will end up controlling how much we can afford to pay for labor. Okay. Well, what what's next? What 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 are you most excited about right now in the business, in your shop, in the world? Well, 
um, something that it's it's pretty intriguing. You know, I entered my career when we were in the the second industrial revolution, really, and um, the first industrial revolution being the steam engine and mecha- mechanization. The second industrial revolution being the application of the electric motor and and the uh, assembly line, and then. When I was entering my career, we just saw computers being applied. Um, so computers gave us a CAD, it gave us a CAM, and it gave us CNC machine tools. So the third industrial revolution um, has done a lot of things for manufacturing. But right now we're on the cusp of entering the fourth industrial revolution, which is industrial internet of things data-driven manufacturing, industry 4.0, and there's going to be some neat things that come out of that. There's also going to be some um, risk associated with that, uh, cybersecurity being the big one. Um, so I'm simultaneously intrigued with the potential of data-driven manufacturing and networking the machines and some things you can do with that and also concerned um, and totally aware of the threats that will be escalating over the years. Can you um, define data-driven machining? Well, data, data-driven manufacturing would be, it will it, manifest itself in a lot of different forms. It, just, um, it could be measuring um, parts and instructing the the machine exactly what the offset should be instead of the operator being involved um, but an intermediate step would be measuring the parts recommending an offset and, and then the operator using that information to key in the ultimate and then that's a little bit of artificial intelligence component in there but that would be one of the ways we could produce more with less technicians. I think there truly will be the outcome of producing more, um, raising our productivity with tools like that. And will that mean uh, a smaller workforce is necessary? Yes. How about uh, additive technologies? Is it something that you're interested in? Do you think it's going to make a big difference? I think it's very intriguing, and I am shocked at how much it's advanced in the last two years, having been to IMTS fairly recently. I was amazed at some of the things that they're doing, uh, the speed uh, in particular. They've made advancements in speed uh, I, I never saw coming. HP had a machine there that was producing a, um, a part a little bit bigger than a credit card and fairly flat part, but they said they could make 75,000 parts in a week. So that's 75,000 parts that no one had to make a mold for. Wow. Uh, Have you made your first investment in it? We bought bought a little one to play around with, and and, and we got rid of it because we couldn't do a whole lot with it. And and you can buy better ones now. That's part of what every year there's a significant improvement in the technology but we had a, got a little one to make plastic parts and we're looking at it again there's some real interesting things 
um, there's a, you can buy a hundred thousand um, dollar metal 3D printer for, from uh, Mark Forge, which I was surprised to see that at IMTS. It's very slow. Uh, HP has got some some uh, higher speed technology, and there's another company that's got some. And a lot of the the faster metal ones are not actually available on the market yet. And what would be the tipping point for you? I, I don't know. Um, I certainly don't want to be naive. I want to look at what's going on. Um, the price and productivity is the key. You know, looking at the history of our industry, there has always been parts converted to other processes. Machine parts have been converted to um, die castings, they've been converted to cold headed parts, they've been converted to stampings, four slide parts, um, plastic injection molded parts, a lot of skirmishing parts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, so it's it's not going to replace us, but there's they're going to take a piece out of the market. My impression of you is that you're willing sometimes to take risks on various types of equipment. You're not sure about, you know, I've, you've bought some indexes before, you've bought various other machines from us that, you know, they may have worked so-so for you. Do you, do you feel like you're, you believe in sometimes taking a leap of faith on certain equipment? Maybe, maybe you can't analyze it totally thoroughly, but sometimes you just throw it out there. Do you sort of believe in that? Yeah, we've certainly done that a number of times, and every time we do it, we, we go about it with the mindset that we're, we're going to enter that um, sector with the idea of having multiple machines. If we got into 3D printing on a production basis, the idea would be to get into a platform that we thought we could multiply Right now, we've got so much demand doing our bread and butter that there's just, uh, you know, I wouldn't see doing that anytime soon. And there's some, the technology's got to come a ways, um, but I want to keep my eye on it. It's it's exciting. It's going to be a competitive, competitive process, if nothing else. Surf, speed, surface finishes, and tolerance are our um, advantages. It, it will get to the point where there'll be certain parts we'll need to look at and say, well, no, you should take that and uh, get it 3D printed. So it's good to know where to, you know, fight your battles. The MIM guys, I think, are the ones that are going to lose the biggest market share. The which guys? MIM, metal injection molding. Ah. If I was a MIM guy, I, I would be looking pretty hard and fast at complementing that technology. Uh, Bill, do you feel that you're still on top of your game? Yeah. Do you think you would know if you weren't? My mom did. <laughs> I remember it got to the point where where she told me, you know, she, she knew she couldn't do what she used to be able to do. I, I think my, um, I had read a, a study done um, that as the one skill that we get better at it is uh, as we get older is in management um, and as a business leader I think our 
our EQ continues to develop and our ability to see further the consequences and the opportunities further out into the future. Um, in fact, that's what this study measured is, is the, um, the, what makes a manager is his ability to see more into the future and to see the consequences. Interesting. So maybe that that means it makes sense to hire a little bit older people as managers. If yeah, if they if they have that um, DNA in them to start with, they probably are. That doesn't mean to say you can't have a young guy. That's just a, a um, an ace. An ace, yeah. Bill, thank you so much. It's been fascinating to talk to you. And yeah, thanks a lot, Bill. It was a great interview. I wish you oh, all yeah. the best. You're welcome. Well, thank you. Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos. And of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.